0: So I wanted to speak this evening about uh, letting go, Mm -hmm. and this is a term that is used frequently in the teachings, although it comes in different guises. Uh, There are other terms for it. For example, there's the word abandon, which many people feel has kind of a negative, cast to it, to abandon. We don't like to think of abandoning things. It sort of doesn't sound right to our sense of integrity. But the implication is usually that we are abandoning things that are harming us, that are we're carrying around like albatrosses or that are heading us in the wrong direction. So it's kind of like abandon ship if, the, if you're on the wrong ship. But we can also... We can also use the word letting go, if you prefer that. I think also of the way that in the second noble truth we are asked to abandon what is the cause of suffering or what it is that we're doing that is cause, that is coexistent with the arising of suffering, let's say it that way, which is usually said to be craving or clinging. So there's a sense that we should abandon these, this activity of craving or of clinging. And there's a, a sutta here that talks about seven different ways of letting go. Seven different um, categories of objects and how to let go of them. I thought I would go over that in that uh, of the seven, you know, we tend to think of this as such a negative term, but of the seven, uh, three of them are positive activities. So you might be interested in how the Buddha recommended different ways of letting go and what we should let go of in which way. That's what this sutta is about. It's interesting. It's in this uh, Middle-Length Discourses and it's the second sutta in here, so it's right near the front. This book is considered um, to be kind of a manual for new monastics, so it's for people who are already interested in doing what the Buddha was asking. They don't need to be convinced anymore, but um, they might be young, they might not, have all the teachings under their belt yet. And so um, this sutta came pretty early on. Of course, they weren't literally studying books uh, at that time, but the ones that were placed earlier in the book are the ones that are considered more fundamental in this particular book, the most important ones to memorize. (laughs) So this uh, second one is about seven ways to let go So the first way is those things that should be abandoned by seeing, and you could really stop there. I mean, there's six more after this, but uh, things that can be abandoned by seeing is a large part of the practice. You know, That's what we're aiming to do, is to see more clearly, to really see what our mind is doing. This is about mindfulness, and the description. But each one of these comes with a description. And the one for seeing is about having an understanding through seeing which things are fit for attention and which things are not fit for attention. I think that's interesting. Interesting. And it's not too surprising that when he goes on to say, what is fit for attention? He says, well, things that increase the wholesome states in our mind or things that decrease the unwholesome states in our mind. Anything that you put your attention on that has that effect, that's a good choice. Whereas the opposite, things that decrease the wholesome states in our mind or increase the unwholesome states, those ones are not so fit for attention. It sounds kind of bland when you say it like that but how often are we putting our mind on something that is actually heading us in the wrong direction, but we're so interested in that, or so habituated to that, we just keep thinking that, you know? And it's, you have to have a little bit of humor here for the mind, right? Is that, you know, we have a random thought like, I don't know, the elections on Tuesday, And then the mind says, oh, I can't believe that there's that horrible measure on there, that there's no way I'm going to vote for that. And then you start saying, how could they even think that you would put something like that on the ballot? Like, why is somebody trying to ruin our community by this kind of thing? I want those people to not think in that way. And I can't believe after all the work I've done in my whole life on politics that there's still people putting stuff like this on the ballot Is this a useful thought trail? Is it increasing wholesome states of loving kindness, patience, generosity, compassion? Or is it feeding anger and irritation and frustration and uh, negative mind states? So it's not that it's wrong to have the thought, I don't agree with this, I think it would be better if we did it this way. That's fine. But if it produces a whole long arc of compounding unwholesome states, you're the one suffering from that. And maybe someday somebody else will when you let out all that anger on somebody else because you've let it build up. So our mindfulness and our discernment uh, would help us if we were committed to letting go of things that were leading to harming. We would notice, oh, this one is not actually leading in a good direction. So even though it's tempting, even though it's so much fun to go down that thought trail and really lay into those people that I don't like so much, um, by seeing that that was not helping, we would abandon that, that thought trail through the power of seeing. That's what it means to uh, do this practice for the purpose of purifying the heart and uh, helping us to live with less suffering to lead a life that's wise and compassionate. So this alone, as you can see, is quite deep and could go a long way if we really watched. Same thing for our bodily actions, same thing for our speech. Anything that we're doing, we could check if it's leading toward or away from suffering and then make some effort through that seeing to make sure that we're only pursuing the more positive ones, the more helpful ones. This is not to say that we're suppressing anything that's negative. Oh, there was a negative thought, bury that. Because suppression, of course, is also unwholesome, right? So we don't want to do that, but the idea of abandoning through seeing is that we're walking that middle way between uh, just compounding things by expressing them, and going on and on, and um, burying things through suppression we have to see them. And then you know, through the natural power of the heart to want not to suffer, we will eventually be able to let go if we keep seeing the, the suffering that comes through something. He does. The Buddha does give us a positive alternative, by the way. There is, of course, this criterion of the wholesome and the unwholesome, but he also points out that uh, wise attention is focused on the Four Noble Truths, so it sees things in terms of uh, whether or not something that arises is suffering, is the cause of suffering, is the cessation of suffering, or is the path. I found that useful sometimes. uh, Just to apply that lens, you know, if something is arising in my mind that's Uh, wholesome like say patience or generosity it's helpful to actually acknowledge for a moment oh this is the fourth noble truth this is part of the path so having a wholesome mind state like that or there can sometimes be moments where I feel my mind start to go in a direction and then not go there like open hand opens and it doesn't go there that's a nice moment to notice that you've seen the third noble truth the cessation of suffering the cessation of clinging or grasping And sometimes we're seeing suffering. But um, when we do, at least we're seeing it. So then the the second way of abandoning things, there are some things that are to be abandoned by restraining. So this is maybe more what you have in mind when you think about abandoning or letting go. And so that's not... um, that's not too surprising, the description of it. It says that we should guard our sense doors. So we restrain our eye, our ear, our nose, tongue, body, and mind. So that, this is related to the other one, so that they're not going out and grabbing things that are not good for us, um, or you know, otherwise getting us in trouble. <laughs> My teacher used to say, an idle mind will get in trouble. <laughs> That's kind of true. You have to watch... But the next one is maybe more interesting. There are certain things that are to be abandoned by using. So we can abandon them actually by using them. And that's intriguing, right? So um, this is written for monastics. And so it talks, and they don't have very many things that they can uh, own and so forth. But so it talks about the requisites, which is the, the basic elements of living, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine, and it says that um, in each of those they should be used for a certain purpose. You know, we should, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to abandon food. <laughs> um, you have to keep eating. And so the question is how to eat in a way that's free. And that's what's offered to the monastics, is that they should understand their intention in eating. It's not for sensual indulgence, it's not to get fat, it's not to uh, make yourself more sexy. You know, things like that. Uh, We eat for the purpose of sustaining ourselves and nourishing the physical part of our being so that we can practice and so that we can uh, help others. You know, these kinds of motivations. So I would expand this, since we're lay people, I would expand abandoning by using to be an examination of our intentions. You know, why is it that I'm doing this particular thing we do a lot of things all day, and we may or may not have mindfulness, but do we also take that extra step and consider, well, what is the, you know, what is the reason why this is happening in my life, in some sense? What is the framework for this? And it doesn't have to be something grandiose, but you know, just as a very commonplace example, this has a huge impact on our, on our suffering and also on our well-being. So for example, you could go to the grocery store uh, as many of us do with the aim of getting everything on my list and getting out <laughs> as quickly as possible because I got to get home and make dinner. you know all right, grocery store, let's do it. Where's the carrots? Where's the soup? Where's the bread? Um, get that. Where's the one? Where's the lane with the shortest line so I can get out which one's moving the fastest or which one has the cashier who, looks like they're the most efficient. This is one intention at the grocery store. Not a super edifying one, but it works. Um, There's also though the intention of shopping uh, for the purpose of connecting with the people in the store. I don't know, you could try it. Uh, Actually meeting their eyes in the aisles and smiling at them and deciding to have a couple 10 seconds of meaningful conversation with the cashier. I was in the store just the other day and the person in front of me uh, said to the cashier while they were doing their thing on the, you know, the credit card machine, they looked up and said casually, so what was the best thing that happened to you today? And the cashier couldn't answer the question. They were sort of stunned and they said, well, geez, I don't know. Um, I don't really think about things like that. And the person was asking, actually, a very sincere connecting question and the cashier didn't take the opportunity, didn't meet the moment. They kind of stumbled through something. But I thought, what a great question, you know, why not ask people, hey, what's the best thing that happened to you today or what's the most inspiring thing that you heard today? It's a nice attitude. Or we could You know, if that's a little too extroverted for you, you could shop with the purpose of um, really keeping in mind the nourishment. You know, the fact that you're buying this food that's going to be healthy for you, or maybe you're going to cook it for your family. And so you think about how you love your family uh, and how this is going to be good for them, generosity. So, you know, there are opportunities all the time to do things for a purpose that is freeing, you know, You have to do all these things anyway. You don't have to, like I said, you don't have to get grandiose about it. We could kind of go overboard on that. But it just invites us to go through our day with a little more than just doing the motions, you know. And then we wonder why at the end of the day we're kind of tired and, you know, bored and so forth. Well, what could we have done during the day to help let go of some of those negative mind states? So this is abandoning by using. Do you use the opportunities you you have experiences all day? Are you using them for uh, something good, to let go, using them to let go and live more freely? Abandoning isn't all negative. All right, the next one is to things that are to be abandoned by enduring, and again, this one maybe sounds more traditional. But there are things like that you know that um, yeah, basically aging, illness, death, pain, criticism, the things that that were that are there to be endured, so there are some things that we just don't have control over, of course, we do our best, um, we exercise, we eat, we're friendly to people, but it doesn't guarantee that we meet only with positive responses, right? No matter how careful we are about that on our end. So there's an understanding that for those parts of life that are difficult and that are unpleasant or painful, uh, we can still let go of them, in a sense, through enduring. And I, I have to be careful with this word. It's not that we're just bearing down and saying, well, Going to change someday. I'm just going to suck it up until something different happens. It's actually that moment of letting go and realizing that it's okay, that it's as it is. You know, it's just an equanimity, the understanding of karma. This is coming about because of causes and conditions. Um, Even if it lasts for the rest of my life, it would be okay. That's how you know that you're actually enduring and not, they actually have equanimity, and are not just waiting for it to end. What if it doesn't end? Would you still be okay? All right, and then there are the ones to be abandoned by avoiding. And this is another interesting one. It's not, this one doesn't go all the way to awakening, is my understanding. Um, there's a there are phases in our practice where it's better for us to avoid things and just you know it's better for us not to even um, engage with something, with the idea that later we'll have enough strength to do that maybe. Um, but this is a lot about wisdom, this avoiding one. You know, if you know that uh, going to the disco is agitating for you, then don't go. <laughs> You know, just don't go if it's going to put your mind in a bad state. Or more seriously, you know, if if you are in recovery, don't go to a bar. It's not very wise. Even if you think, well, I'll just go and get water, that's not a good place for you to be, right? So, um, the sense of avoiding can help us to build strength. So it's part of the path. Um, I don't think. Like I said, I don't think this one is meant to be used for the entire length of the path, but it's very helpful along the way. And um, you know, conversely, we can imagine what it is that we, sh- that we should do the opposite of avoiding, seek out things like wise friends, very helpful. There's two more. One of them is another um, more traditional one, which is things that are to be abandoned by removing. And so those are things where we decide uh, not to allow ourselves to go in a certain direction. You know, we just say, no, this is not helpful to me. In fact, I'm not even going to entertain that idea. It's a little bit stronger than uh, the earlier one of just turning attention away. So. This is really, um, if you want to turn it around to a more positive framework, things that are to be abandoned by removing. The text, by the way, says that a a practitioner reflecting wisely does not tolerate an arisen thought of sensual desire. He or she abandons it, removes it, does away with it. Eh, same thing for thoughts of ill will or thoughts of cruelty. So, yeah in a sense, um, you know, that sounds a little negative. So I I turn it around to the the willingness not to forsake goodness. You know, what if you were completely unwilling to forsake your love and your compassion? If every time we give in to ill will or cruelty, in some sense, we have let go of the wrong thing. (laughs) We've let go of love or compassion. And so we can have, this is a This one is inviting us to not tolerate suffering, really. The only thing that we shouldn't tolerate, perhaps, (laughs) is to say, no, I'm not going to forsake my dedication to uh, helpful mind states and to seeing clearly. And then the last method is um, another uh, maybe uh, positive or somewhat surprising one is that there are things to be abandoned through development. And we're not developing the things that we want to abandon. We're developing specifically wholesome mind states that uh, crowd out other kinds of um, problems in the mind. So I think of it like gardening. You know, you have some weeds in the garden and of course you want to clear out the weeds. That's what a lot of these are about. But in addition, you could take the positive strategy of planting a bunch of good plants. And then they grow, and there isn't enough space for the weeds to be there, right? So we cultivate, in particular, the text says to cultivate the factors of awakening, the seven factors of awakening, which are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So any of those things, if we put those into our mind, they they have the effect of crowding out the things that we don't want, particularly the five hindrances, as well as other um, undesirable kinds of mind states. So we have this sense of, of abandoning or letting go, and it's, it's actually a very positive thing. We're always letting go of the causes of suffering. That's what we're supposed to abandon. Um, and you see different flavors of it through all these different words. I'll just offer them again. We abandon things through seeing, restraining, using, enduring, avoiding, removing, and developing. So on one side of the coin, we have freedom from things and letting go of things. That's one way to think about it. And then there's also the side where we have the freedom to do things. And we have letting go into peace or love or freedom or compassion. So there's a way that we can frame our whole practice as entering into the world with wisdom, compassion and peace. You know, we talk so much about abandoning or letting go. There's a kind of a sense of, a flavor of diminishment to that. You know, we have to get rid of something somehow. But in my experience, it's also possible to frame practice as entering more and more deeply into experience. And we see, what we see more and more is that the unwholesome mind states that we carry around, the anger and the fear and the... uh Self, you know, the identification with things; those are actually somehow obscuring our ability to actually really experience life. And so, we're removing uh, veils. And if you want to be experiencing, you should let go, <laughs> let go of the things that are preventing you from really experiencing life. That's your aim. So, you have to be. We have to not go with our gut feeling around words sometimes. Abandoning is what lets us really be here. So I want to offer this poem. See for yourse- you can decide for yourself if you think it's related. <laughs> Felt like it was to me. So the title is, After Reading What's in the Temple by Tom Barrett, I Consider His Question. That's the title of the poem. So that's his question, What's in the Temple. In the secret temple of my heart was an altar with nothing on it. I love nothing, the pure potential of it. Sometimes when others journeyed here, I sensed they were surprised, perhaps even sorry for me, as if it would be better with a lotus or a cross or a star or a figurine or a photo of someone, or a stone, always something. I tried, in fact, to put things on the altar, but no thing let itself stay. There was a day when, in a single moment, the altar had everything on it. And by everything, I mean everything. Every bee, every stick, every plastic bag and beetle, every crushed empty can, every crumpled shirt, every door handle, compass, broken thermometer, apple, trash can, tree, everything. And it was so beautiful, I wept for hours. Oh, the pure potential of it. And then that altar was no longer in some secret temple in my heart, but everywhere. Everywhere a place to worship, everything a prayer waiting to be heard, to be touched, and inside the most beautiful nothing, not even an altar, which is, oddly, everything. I can't say how. Sometimes when I am quiet enough, I notice it. Sometimes when I get out of the way, I fall all the way in. So what is it that is preventing you from being completely here? And could you abandon that? So I'll stop there and ask if there are any questions or comments.
1: We started talking about abandoned. I was thinking of the sense of the word that we hear it used, like you know, she danced with abandon. Mm-hmm. You with know, abandon. So it can have that really positive
0: sense to it of, of being free. Yeah, being free. I think the caveat here would be that we haven't abandoned wisdom, or are just kind of throwing ourselves out, we have some understanding of what we're doing, but yes, it could, in the positive sense of dancing with abandon, it could be like that, yeah. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can meditate with abandon.
0: You can meditate yeah. with abandon, yeah. 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 When I think of
2: that phrase, abandon ship, I guess what comes up is that a ship that is being abandoned is no longer serving the people who are on it, right? And that that speaks to this sutta um, that we there are so many ways to abandon the things that are no longer serving us. And I think the negative connotation is that they're, maybe those things don't—they're part of the ego and they don't really want to be abandoned.
1: For sure,
0: they're going. Some of them are going to, going to fight eliminated. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's They're right.
2: they fighting back,
1: right.
0: Yeah, some of them don't, for sure, they don't want to be eliminated. <clears throat> and if they realize that's what you're doing, they will protest. So that's part of the challenge of practice.
2: Mm-hmm. I find it interesting letting go, but some things are like clear, and then it's like, okay, you can just let go, and you do. And other things, you can know about it or sometimes not even know about it when it just happens. There's it's
1: unconscious or less.
0: So you're saying there are ways to let go where you don't have to know what's being let go?
1: Right, and sometimes it's, it doesn't feel like you're
0: actively doing something. Oh, for sure. We don't actually do the letting go. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there are a few things that we can let go of through our will, but only a few. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is creating the conditions for something else to, to do that. That's why seeing is the most powerful one. So you just keep seeing, and then something... When it's seen enough, it will be willing.
2: A question about the uh, the first one seeing and you used the example of the election and where you where you get an art going, you know, it's like one thing to identify like I I see this and this is how I feel about it. But then, I'm, I have to speak personally, I'm really good at, at continuing the argument, you know, and honing it and refining it. And, yeah, right. and I was wondering if you have any suggestions on, um, I, I've gotten better through practice of, of at least noting that I'm doing that. It That's seems good. like the, the, noting it seems to be a good way of, um, once I'm aware of it, <laughs> then it's easier to stop
0: it. But are there other things that work? Um, Yeah, so this, I mean, this is just something that the mind does. It's not like, um, it's not like it's inherently bad. It's just an ability of the mind to do this. And there's a certain pleasure, right, in building up some nice, neat argument and so forth. Um, I would say that this might be a case where... uh, seeing alone isn't always enough, I mean it's in a sense, it depends what you mean by seeing or mindfulness but you can also add on the extra understanding of whether or not it seems to be helpful to you. So you know, we can note for a long time that something is happening but if we never notice that it's causing stress at some subtle level, we might not have enough uh, interest to abandon it or to let it go. So you don't need to actively go in there and say, my mind is doing this and it's horrible, you know, that's, that's imposing something, but just feeling, you know, for example, while you're doing all of that thinking, you're not mindful of what's around you because that takes a certain amount of energy to focus your attention on that. So, um, you know, that might be a way to realize that there's a subtle amount of stress. And there's also um, a little bit of my mind likes to do this too, and I had this moment where I watched my mind constructing something, and I was enough uh, concentrated that I didn't get caught up in the content of it. So I saw it more as kind of energy, and it was like it was like pulling. You know, there was like this kind of sea of stuff in the mind, and it was kind of rising up out of the sea in this in this kind of fantastical artistic shape. And I knew it was some construction that I was making of, out of thought, but I didn't bother to look at the content. And I could see that what I was doing was just trying to, you know, create something pretty in that moment so I could feel good about myself or something. But in the end, of course, uh, anything that you pull up out of the ocean has to eventually collapse at some point. So just have adding that extra element of wisdom, of impermanence or of stress associated with it can... Can add a little extra oomph onto not getting us caught. Does that help?
2: Yeah, because it is stressful yeah. I'm doing that. I mean, it, you can feel a, it. A, yeah. There's a there's a, there's a, a way where at some point it's helpful, you know, and then at some point it goes on too long. Yeah, there's some
0: usefulness to clarity, but then there's also some pressure in the mind if you think about it a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah. So just feeling that pressure feeling that transition point where it goes from, you know, wise discernment about something into um, trying to hang on to it being a certain way and really adding extra bills and whistles and things that aren't needed. Yeah, I would focus on that transition.
3: Yeah. The one about um, using, um, banning by using, I think it's a way of uh, going beyond the surface of something by allowing, if it's a bad habit that we're talking about, um, something that you may have been struggling with for a long time and really by yourself or whatever, you can't let go of it. So, when it comes up, um, to use it by letting it remind you of where you're trying to get. And so, going beyond the appearance of it and letting it be a reminder. um, You can shift your attention and begin to um, get loose from it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, this is if you're able to be with it without getting caught up in it immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be sort of a a mindfulness reminder, um, yeah, that's another way to think about the the using one, yeah.
1: Noticing your mind, constructing, I've had that too, I've found it really, I'm like, oh, I can't see what I'm doing you know, I'm just building things, you know. It's almost like you're putting stuff together and even, so you're not, you're mindful enough to not get caught in the story or something, but you just feel it, so. I mean, I'm really glad because I've never heard anybody say that before. So, yeah, I think that'll help me like not get so mad at myself
0: for doing it or something. Oh yeah, it's it's actually just what the mind does. We just have to.
1: Yeah, I think it's like an evolutionary thing. of our mind
3: you
0: know, Yeah. Making things. Yeah. <laughs>